Hey, Cheat fans, this week's episode goes into the world of online erotica, and it contains some pretty weird descriptions of sex acts. So for you folks that usually listen with your kids, you might not want to do that for this one. Sit this one out or find a way to listen to it by yourself. It's January of 2018. A new ebook is about to come out. And fans of a genre called dark romance are getting excited. In the version on Amazon, the words Crave to Conquer are written on the cover in gold letters. And right above that, there's a picture of a shirtless Jason Momoa-looking dude in a black cape, tattoos rippling across his biceps, pecs, and APAC abs. And pretty quickly, the reviews start pouring in. Amazing series. Very hard to put down. Love the sex. If you like Game of Thrones, you'll enjoy this too. But then, readers notice something else. I feel like I read this before. A little too close to Addison Kane's book. The story was good, but Addison Kane wrote it better. Addison Kane. Addison Kane. Addison Kane. In Virginia, Addison Kane, well, that's not a real name. She's at home with her newborn daughter when started getting messages from readers who were saying, you have a problem, your book has been plagiarized. I'm Alzo Slade, and this is Cheat, the podcast where we ask, is it ever okay to break the rules? In this week's episode, a plagiarism scandal in the world of online erotica. About 10 years ago, Addison Kane was living abroad in Kyoto. I was, I think, 29 years old, and I was living in Japan. And I loved to read. And buying English books there was very expensive. And if you really are a voracious reader, you're going to go broke really quick. <laughs> so Addison goes poking around on the internet looking for something to read. I was just looking around online one day, and I was like, oh, this is awesome. She finds a website called fanfiction.net where people from all over the world are taking characters and settings from their favorite books and movies and making up their own stories about them. A lot of fan fiction is what's called Slash, where fans imagine what might happen if their favorite characters were gay. The mission of the Enterprise is to seek out and contact alien life. Most people say Slash Fic, which is short for Slash Fiction, started with Star Trek. Has it occurred to you that there's a certain inefficiency in constantly questioning me on things you've already made up your mind about. It gives me emotional security. When Trek came out in the mid-1960s, it didn't take very long for fans to start writing gay erotica about Kirk and Spock. Bracing himself on Spock's chest as he rocks down, Jim loves seeing Spock like this, his perfect Vulcan composure cracking at the edges. He's probably the only one who would even notice. And 50 years later, fans on the internet are writing stories about pretty much anything you can imagine. When Harry first expressed his intention to marry Draco, he had expected Narcissa to give a long list of tasks he'd have to undertake. Like, what if the characters from Harry Potter planned a gay wedding? What if Sherlock made out with Watson? What if Luke Skywalker came to Earth during the Civil War and hooked up with Abraham Lincoln? Then, about 10 years ago, a new subgenre of fanfic starts to take shape on the internet. 
people start taking those old Star Trek slash fic tropes and running with them, making them edgier and kinkier. And this new genre is what Addison Kane finds her way into back in 2012, sitting at her computer over in Japan. It's called Omegaverse. Omegaverse isn't exactly fan fiction. It's kind of its own beast. It takes some stuff from Star Trek and other stuff from werewolf-themed TV shows that were popular in the early 2000s, like Supernatural and Teen Wolf. Remember those? And it creates a world with its own rules. Gentlemen, take a look at a rare sight. You want to tell them what we've caught? An Omega. The Lone Wolf. Possibly kicked out of his own pack. See, there's this concept that often appears in werewolf stories where certain characters are bigger and more dominant. They're the alphas. Betas, they're somewhere in the middle, and the smaller submissive werewolves are called Omegas. And that's where Omegaverse gets its name. An Omega rarely survives on his own. There's a whole lot more going on in the Omegaverse, and we'll get to that later. But for now, here's Counting Clams, a TikToker, explaining the most important thing to know about this world. Basically, betas are normal people. Let's just start with that baseline. Alphas and Omegas have their own version of being basically uncontrollably horny. So Addison Kane is really intrigued by this universe of horny wolf people. I just thought it was such an interesting and innovative way to play with characters. But there wasn't very many stories back then where the characters were male and female. So I thought I'd play with it and write female. And I had just a ton of fun with that. She starts posting her hetero Omegaverse stories on a big fan fiction website called Archive of Our Own, or AO3 for short. And people love it. Addison decides to put together some of her stories into a book. She calls it Born to be Bound. It's a dystopian world where there was some kind of virus that got loose and was killing humans. And the only way for them to prevent getting this virus was for them to move into these cities that were sealed off by a dome where the virus couldn't get in. A rogue virus killing off humans. Mm, That ain't really fiction, Addison. But the book is a lot. There's a big dominant alpha who kidnaps a small desperate Omega. The Omega goes into heat, and the two of them have a whole lot of wolf sex for a couple of hundred pages. I didn't even know wolves had over 200 pages worth of stamina for sex. And Addison's like, I think this can sell. So she sends the manuscript off to a publisher, Blushing Books. The next day, she's got a contract. We see more and more actually people publishing on AO3 originally and then getting a publishing contract. Fifty Shades of Grey, of course, is the biggest example. That's Dr. Christina Busser. She teaches at the University of South Alabama and has a PhD in fan studies. Yeah, that's a thing. Well, you'll hear more from her later. You all remember Fifty Shades of Grey? Those smutty BDSM books that grew into a whole smutty billion-dollar movie franchise? You're mine. All mine. You understand? Yeah. That started out as Twilight fanfic. Now its author, E.L. James, is a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. And in the spring of 2016, Addison Kane becomes a published author as well. 
And pretty soon, she's making six figures off the sale of her Omegaverse books. Cut to a few years later. Addison's at home, she's got this new baby, and she starts getting these messages from readers about this other book, Crave to Conquer. You know, the one with that swole dude with the abs on the cover. Is written by another Omegaverse writer who goes by the name of Zoe Ellis. I kept getting more and more messages from people being like, I don't know if you know this, but Zoe Ellis plagiarized Born to Be Bound. And I started reading the book. And I couldn't understand what people were upset about. The beginning of the book is very different. And it was okay. I'm reading it. I'm like, all right, I don't understand. And then it got to, I think it was around the 27% point. At that point, my book started scene for scene. Same characters, same everything. Addison says she didn't believe what she was seeing on the screen. An Omega woman goes into heat after getting taken prisoner by an alpha man. There's a daring escape, and page after page of sweaty, snarling wolf sex. I didn't know what to do. It was making me sick when I was reading it. The book even ended with someone jumping off a balcony. And in my book, someone jumps off a balcony, like a roof. And it was just like, you've got to, this isn't even subtle. Come on here. On April 16th of 2018, Addison emails her publisher. She includes a list of 25 similarities from the books and is like, what can we do about this? She asked them to file a copyright takedown notice known as a DMCA, short for the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, a 1998 law that's supposed to protect people from getting their work stolen on the internet. And her publisher said, yeah, we can do that, but before we move ahead, I'd like you to really think about whether you want to do this. Is it really hurting you? Addison's reply? File the DMCAs immediately. By the end of the week, Blushing Books has sent copyright notices to Amazon, the iBookstore, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and Google Play. A few places take the books down, but they keep coming back up. And Amazon doesn't budge. Addison emails her publisher saying, Her books are back on iTunes again. They're also on Kobo and Google Play. I'm super mad about this. Can we please send out DMCA takedown notices to these people? Also, what are we going to do about Amazon? The publisher even tells an employee to buy Zoe's book on Amazon, return it a few days later, and say it's because the book plagiarized Addison Kane. A few months later, Addison walks outside to get the mail. She opens the mailbox, pulls out a fat envelope. Inside is a stack of legal papers. She's being sued. So I snapped the thing out of my mailbox and I open it up and I'm like, what in the absolute heck? Like, I got plagiarized and I'm being sued by my plagiarist? Like, this is, this is ridiculous. More after the break. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? No. Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. 
Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Zoe Ellis's adventures in fan fiction started with a certain boy wizard. Did you ever make anything happen? Anything you couldn't explain? You're a wizard, Harry. I'm a what? When I finished Harry Potter, actually, I was so depressed. I was like, oh my gosh, there's no more of this world that I'm going to get again. And then I was like, I should write something. So Zoe, that's not her real name either, starts writing and writing and writing. When she finds her way to the wolf erotica of Omegaverse, she gets hooked quickly. I really liked the whole kind of instinctual need between the characters, looking at what do you do if your body is saying one thing, but your mind is saying another? What do you do if your soulmate is actually someone who society thinks is a terrible person? Every morning before going to her job in London, Zoe starts getting up before sunrise to write. Passages like... He lifted her, and something hard and large bumped against her slick opening. Sethorn, she gasped. I'm not hearing any plan yet, Warden. His voice was rich and husky, but my name sounds beautiful on your lips, as always. <laughs> Have I scandalized you? I'm sorry. <laughs> so all of this richness and huskiness, Zoe starts putting out her books commercially, just like Addison. First, she publishes a paranormal romance involving angels. And then, when Game of Thrones comes out, Zoe gets inspired again. She remixes some elements from Game of Thrones with the Alpha, Beta, Omega stuff from Omegaverse and publishes Crave to Conquer in 2018. It's about a emperor called Drocco who has newly conquered this land with an army of alphas. And one of the reasons why they follow him is because of this mystery that's been happening over the decades of Omegas going missing. Now, you don't have to squint to see the resemblance between the Game of Thrones character called Drogo, played by Jason Momoa, and Zoe's Emperor Draco. But when Zoe's book comes out, some readers say it reminded them of something else. Addison Kane's Omegaverse book, Born to be Bound. Omegaverse is really unusual in that it is not one trope or even one genre. It's kind of a grab bag of a bunch of different tropes. That's Dr. Christina Bussa again, the fan fiction expert. She says, what makes Omegaverse Omegaverse are the tropes. Even if you don't have a PhD in fan studies, you probably know what a trope is. Basically, it's a device that gets repeated over and over in different kinds of stories. People will call their stories Omegaverse if a sufficient number of these specific tropes are used. So for a lot of people, the male pregnancy is a really important part. Yep, that's right. In Omegaverse, men can get pregnant. They call this impreg, and it might be the most well-known Omegaverse trope. If you search impreg on AO3, there's like 75,000 stories up there. Male werewolves knocking up other werewolves. There's even one where an anime panda has a kid with Sonic the Hedgehog. While there are male-female Omegaverse stories, for most fans, that wasn't what we wanted, right? The entire point is to get Mpreg and to get all these things that we can't get in male-female relationships. But 
both Addison Kane and Zoe Ellis are writing straight Omegaverse. So you're not reading their books for a lot of impreg scenes. However, both of their books do use a lot of the other classic Omegaverse tropes. Both books use the bonding trope. There is a, a bonding trope where two characters are physically, animalistically meant for each other and bond. Both books have characters who nest and go into heat like animals. Excessive ejaculations and cum, nesting. What else did I forget? Oh, heat cycles. Right. That's a big one. You know, your dog, your cat is fertile during a particular time. They go into heat. So all of those things get put onto humans. So as if that weren't enough things being put onto humans, both of these books employ something called the... um, uh, the nodding trope. Um, the nodding. So during intercourse, um, they kind of go from supposed, you know, animal dog physiology that the penis kind of swells um, at the base and creates a knot that keeps the penis in place. So I got to be honest, even after that description, I'm not exactly sure what nodding means or if I want to know a lot of this stuff shows up on Addison Kane's list that she sent to her publisher you know those 25 examples where Zoe Ellis's book repeated elements found in her own books there's a scene where the omega goes into heat and can't resist the alpha then a scene where the alpha locks up the omega so she can't get away then the omega gets depressed stops eating, and gets Stockholm Syndrome. Dr. Bussa looks at this, and she just sees genre tropes, not plagiarism. So she's Team Zoe all the way. She had several quotes from her book and from Zoe's book that were very similar, like, you know, he hefted her over his heavy shoulder and, you know, with his big muscles walked off or something like that, which, you know, yes, That sounds really similar. It also sounds like, you know, half of the covers of romance stories. But not everyone agrees. Dr. Monica Flagel looks at the books side by side at Addison's request. And Dr. Flagel's like, look, I also have a PhD in fan studies. And I think this Zoe Ellis book is a little shady. Sure, these are common genre tropes, but this many of the same tropes arranged in the same order? That can't be a coincidence. Plus, Addison Kane had been in the game longer than Zoe Ellis, and her hetero Omegaverse books were already popular. It seemed to Addison like Zoe had clearly been inspired by her work. Addison Kane's was the first big het Omegaverse story, probably, that was published. I know a lot of fans are saying, why would you do that? Why would you make that het? But that's what happened. Bussa thinks a lot of people who found Addison's books might not have read Omegaverse before. My theory of why this novel became so popular is not that these stories were actually that similar, but that they had never read the same thing before. So if you've got mail, it's the first time you've ever seen an enemies-to-lover trope. 
and you know you'll watch some some movie now and you say oh my god that's just like you've got mail and someone else is going to say love that's just like the shop around the corner and it really is just Shakespeare and it's just like Pride and Prejudice I don't want to bring everything back to Greek mythology or whatever but you also need to see that there are storylines and there are tropes that someone did not invent but if this is your first introduction to Omegaverse then yes you will think in another Omegaverse will look exactly like that so, here we are, back in the spring of 2018, and Zoe hears through the grapevine that Addison is upset about her books, but she brushes it off. And then... Things just went nuts. <laughs> Things just went crazy. One day, Zoe gets a message. A reader said to me, oh, I can't find your books on Kobo. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Let me go and look that, find out what's going on. So I emailed and was waiting for a response. And then I noticed that they were down on Barnes & Noble and that my entire catalogue was down on Apple. So none of my books, nothing was selling on Apple. The entire account had gone. Kobo, the ebook distributor, writes back to Zoe and tells her, hey, look, somebody filed a DMCA against your books. So we took them down. And I asked them who filed it and they said blushing books. Addison Kane's publisher. And then that's when I knew. And it was just a sinking feeling. You might be asking yourself, how is any of this legal anyway? Isn't all of this fan fiction stuff copyright infringement? Here's the lawyer side of this. Mostly the creators of Star Trek, Teen Wolf, Harry Potter, they aren't out there suing fan fiction writers on the internet. Because mostly, fan fiction writers on the internet aren't trying to make money off their stories. And it kind of helps their brand when people get so excited about these characters and what they might do in an alternate queer universe. But if you are trying to monetize these stories, then you got to make sure you're changing your story enough that the owners of the original IP don't have grounds to sue you. Like when E.L. James wanted to publish Fifty Shades of Grey, she had to change some things. Axe the vampire stuff. And voila original content. But Omegaverse is different. Nobody owns that IP. Omegaverse isn't based directly on any one movie or show or series of books. It was created entirely by fans on the internet. So when Addison tried to claim that these ideas belonged to her, that rubbed Dr. Bussa the wrong way. If it had been a trope that had commercially developed over the years, that would have been one thing, but it was a fan-created trope. Like, it was owned by all of us. It was owned by no one. Like, we created this. And then for someone to take it and make money off it, we have a very complex relationship to commercialization and exploitation in fan spaces. So for someone to take it, make money off it, we're like, okay, you can do this. It's your story. But then to go and sue someone else for using the same general ideas that just felt really wrong. All of that said, copyright infringement is actually a huge problem for authors who self-publish on platforms like Amazon. There's pretty much nothing stopping a bad actor from copy-pasting the text of a book they like, changing the sentences just enough to get past the automatic plagiarism checker, uploading it to Amazon, and selling it as their own. The DMCA is a tool meant to protect creators from having their work stolen, but it also gets abused. A lot. 
the DMCA is getting abused every day and the way it's really unfairly tilted towards copyright owners, which a lot of times are big media companies that can just throw that out and say, okay, all of this stuff is mine. Amazon gets millions of DMCA takedown notices every year. And they say more than half of them are frivolous. Even the U.S. Copyright Office has admitted the whole situation is out of control and called on Congress to fix it. We're pretty much live and let live in fandom in the sense of ideas circulate and ideas get shared and get passed on. But this idea of I own this, right? This is mine. Uh, You stole from me because I hit the table, didn't I'm sorry. Meanwhile, on Zoe Ellis' Amazon page, the negative reviews are piling up, accusing her of straight-up stealing Addison's work. And the DMCA notices keep coming in from one retailer after another. Zoe says, hey, we got to fight this. So she gets in touch with a lawyer she knows, and they whip up a counter notice, and they send it off to Apple, Barnes & Noble, and all of the rest to be like, look, My book doesn't actually infringe on Addison Cain's copyright. These similarities are just tropes from this werewolf universe, and you can't copyright a trope. Please let me keep selling my books. Some of the vendors said, sorry, take it up with blushing books. But new notices keep coming in, even for one of Zoe's books that hasn't come out yet. Zoe's losing money on book sales and pre-orders. In May, her lawyer sends a cease and desist to Blushing Books. They're like, hey, we don't want to sue you, but if you don't stop, we're going to have to sue you. Let's try to resolve this. Even as we were trying to arrange meetings with them, they were constantly filing DMCAs for months and months, all through the summer. The fact was is that they needed to stop filing, and the lawsuit was the only way to do it. Zoe Ellis and her publisher sue Addison Kane and her publisher, saying, There's no plagiarism happening here. These DMCAs are fake. This is tortious interference. And you need to pay Zoe $1.25 million in damages. As someone who does fan studies, as someone who constantly defends fans against the threat of DMCA accusations, I thought that this was a really interesting lawsuit. What does it take for stories, for two book series, to be so similar that one can claim the other plagiarized it? That'll be up to a federal judge to decide. That's after the break. I gotta wonder, what's going through Judge Charles Goodwin's head as he's reading through the paperwork of what might be the weirdest case ever to come through the U.S. federal court system? To be recognized as an Omegaverse, at least some of the following characteristics need to be present. Omega heat cycle, an alpha rut. Nodding, a physiological condition experienced by the alpha during mating to aid in impregnation. Pregnancy, male and female. And folks, that's just page seven. On September 18th of 2018, Zoe Ellis's legal camp files a long complaint against Addison Kane and her publisher, Blushing Books, in federal court, alleging copyright misuse, defamation, and a whole bunch of other mischief. Included in the evidence is a Facebook post from two years earlier when Addison Kane 
publicly accused another Omegaverse writer of plagiarism. Zoe's lawyers are like, see, Judge, this is a pattern. Addison gets dismissed from that lawsuit on jurisdictional grounds. The dispute gets dragged through various courts for over a year. Zoe sues Addison again. Addison sues her back, and that case eventually gets dismissed. But at some point, Blushing Books settles with Zoe Ellis. The details aren't public, so we don't know if Zoe got any money out of the deal, but Blushing does admit that there was no plagiarism and the DMCAs were invalid. It was a complete weight off my shoulders. We were able to get a very kind of clean, it was a very clean win, and I am very grateful for that. Addison Kane is no longer with Blushing Books. The whole thing on Blushing's side was just such a shit show. See, it wasn't until she got the cease and desist from Zoe's lawyer that Addison discovered her publisher never actually registered the copyrights on her books. I'm like, wait a minute. What do you mean my, my copyrights aren't filed? Because part of my contract with Blushing is that they are responsible for filing and paying for my copyright. And so an office manager at Blushing tells me that, no, my copyrights aren't filed. They were fighting each other behind the scenes the whole time. But that's a story for a different podcast. When the whole thing comes around, it was actually a very beautiful experience. I was so supported and loved by my friends and my fans. I feel like life lessons come and go. And I did the best I could. And the universe took care of me as best it could. And I wouldn't change anything. And I obviously won at the end. The Omegaverse community tracked every move in the case, combing through court documents, taking sides. Someone even wrote fanfic about it. Ben Solo, junior associate at Snoke & Associates, looks up from his computer screen and wonders exactly how the fuck this is now his life. He'd done everything right. Harvard Law School, landed a job at a top firm in New York City. And now here he is, reading terrible garbage online porn as part of Discovery for the most ridiculous lawsuit ever filed in the history of the American legal system. The question of where to draw the line between a trope and copyright infringement remains unsettled. Whether you believe Addison Kane is a bully who abused the American legal system to shut down a rival or that Zoe Ellis copied her work might be less important than what it means for community spaces because that's what the Omegaverse is, a community of people who just want to get weird imagining wolf sex. But these online spaces mean something to the people who belong to them. It's a place where people can explore parts of themselves and their imaginations with acceptance and validation. It's easy to see why people get so protective of their fan fiction communities. But what happens when money starts changing hands? The minute an individual starts profiting off of something the collective created? Well, that has a different ring to it. Hey folks, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus. It's like Cheat, but better. It's just $2.99 a month, or if you're in the UK, £2.49. And you get all of this without having to listen to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow. You can try it for free now. 
Next time on Cheat. I think he wanted to mix with the rich. And unfortunately, rich doesn't always come with being clean or being legal. Cheat is presented by me, Alzo Slade. This episode was produced by Maya Croft with help from Julia Doyle and Camila Kashani. The executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. The series editor is Megan Dietrich. The original idea for the show was developed by Tom Fuller. Assemblies and scoring by Sabina Singani. Engineering and sound design by Martin Peralta at Output Media. Special thanks to the Sony legal team, Peter Effrier, Mariah Watson, Mia Warren, and Ava Amadvigi. Our production coordinators are Jennifer Mystery and Iker Egbatola. <laughs>